Well, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to have a chat with me. Um, I think that your website, uh, it's nospank. Dot That's net. right. N dot net, right. Uh, is a wonderful, wonderful resource. And um, uh, I run a the Free Domain Radio. It's a philosophy show very much dedicated to uh, pacifism, to anti-violence. And right. one of the things I think that's hard to escape in the world is that if you want to look for the roots of violence, not the only place, but the very first place that I think is wise to look is in people's childhood experiences with and exposure to violence. And uh, so I thought that your site was wonderful and very interesting. And I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about, you know, based on when you wrote your articles, uh, you've been in the field for quite some time. Tell me a little bit about uh, your involvement and, and how you came to do what you're doing. All right, I'll, I'll try. Uh, I'll give you a little background. I've been working on this issue for about 30 years. Uh, I began when um, uh, in the, I guess it was the middle 70s, I moved with my family to Sydney, Australia. We moved from New Jersey uh, in the United States to Sydney, and uh, New Jersey was the first state in the U.S. to abolish uh, corporal punishment in schools. Huh. They did that when Abraham Lincoln was president, and I thought the whole world behaved that way. I, I just the the phrase corporal punishment uh, conjured in my mind uh, uh, pictures of Charles Dickens, uh, or you know, of that era. And then, but when we arrived in Sydney, it was a rude awakening. My three sons went to schools that used corporal punishment, and that's when I began working on the issue. Um, and then when we returned uh, uh, some years later to uh, the United States, I carried on the campaign um, uh, here in California. Um, you know, that uh, it took about um, uh, roughly uh, two years to get a caning stopped in um, New South Wales. Huh. But the law, they didn't pass a law until I think it was about eight years later. Um, they and, and this is typical. Uh, the, the, the practice will, as, the, as those who do it and those who defend the action become embarrassed by their own behavior, it, it tapers off. It tends to disappear. And the lawmakers don't see, are, are, are seem incapable of, of uh, uh, developing enough um, uh, courage and backbone to codify it into law until after the majority of the public accepts that uh, we don't, you know, not to use corporal punishment in schools, and if, and that that that's routine. The same thing happened in uh, in California. Here in California, I drafted legislation. Uh, for Assemblyman Sam Farr that uh, banned paddling in California schools. That took about two years of lobbying and debating a a until that law was passed. Right. Um, now we've got a situation where the Deep South, uh, uh, 20 states, um, still cling to the paddle, and we're having a, a, a quite a quite a debate to get them to stop. Quite a quite a discussion. And what, uh, so, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. uh, um, some, some of the research that I've looked into seems to suggest that uh, uh, in the South and particularly among more fundamentalist uh, families, uh, there is somewhat more resistance to non-violent or non-aggressive ways of, of dealing with children. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I have two maps on the website, one of the top 10 paddling states, and right alongside it is a map of the top 10 lynching states. Huh. Now, when I use the word lynching and I talk to a, an audience 
of say of of uh, um, uh, people that are high school age, they I have to define the word. They don't know what it means. I'm old <laughs> enough to remember. I know what the word lynch means. The two maps are almost identical. Seven states show up in both maps. The top ten paddling states and the top ten lynching states are nearly a perfect match, uh, and that's no that's no no accident. No, and I think uh, it probably it, uh, is also no accident that uh, from the states where there is the greatest amount of uh, violence used against children, you also get the greatest military uh, enrollment, which is not to say that all military is bad, but it, I think there may be some relationship that way as well. Well, the violence against kids in school encourages them to drop out, and when they drop out, they're unprepared for for employment except for joining the military. Um, and now, uh, interestingly... The military can't use corporal punishment because they because we have a volunteer service in the United States. You'd get no one to volunteer if corporal punishment was being used on recruits. Um, and uh, the, the the prison system can't use can't flog prisoners anymore. Right. Husbands can't beat their wives anymore. The only beatable person left is the child. And uh, I mean, I see that as a a a, a blatant uh, violation of const the constitutional guarantee for equal protection. You know, we have equal protection, and we have protection against cruel and unusual punishment. And there's just one big um, uh, ex exception, and that's for children. They don't qualify for constitutional protection. And if we accept and that's that, uh, sorry to interrupt, but if we accept that the law should work its hardest or so, social justice or morals should work the hardest to, de to defend the most vulnerable, we've got it almost completely backwards, right? I mean, if there's one group that you really want to protect from violence, it would be children because it is out of that violence, you could argue, that almost all social violence uh, comes. Yes, you said it perfectly. Uh, if you look at, if you examine violent behavior in adulthood, it always uh, is preceded by violent experience in childhood. Yes. I, I don't think you can find a, 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 a perpetrator of violence, an adult perpetrator, who didn't get his or her first lessons in violence uh, at home. And, and beginning at, a, at an age earlier than most people would want to admit, uh, Children are, are the, the the spanking, and that's a euphemism for assault and battery. That begins earlier than anyone wants to admit, and and those and those children get they get their first lesson, and that lesson sets them up for for subsequent violence, and eventually they become perpetrators, many of them. And if they don't abuse others, they abuse themselves with uh, with drugs and chemicals and and uh, um, you know ways to to relieve the the pain of having been a victim. I mean, I think you're. I think you're entirely right, which is a ridiculous thing for me to say because you're the expert and I'm just a radio host. But uh, I certainly agree. Well, with I'm that. not an expert. I'm really an amateur. I have no. I have no credential in the field. But a lot of folks with credentials quote what I say. Right. They like it. Right. And uh, so, and and it's it's it's. It, I don't think that this doesn't require a, a deep thinking. Uh, look. The argument in defense of corporal punishment of children, that argument was used not long ago in defense of husbands' right to uh, to batter their wives, but they had nice language for it. They said a, a good Christian husband has the right to chastise right. a wife uh, who is doesn't honor and respect. You know, if you put it in the right language, it sounds okay. 
uh, today there's no defense for a husband or, or a wife battering a husband. Spousal violence is not okay. About, but you're exactly right, and, and one of the things that uh, the, the sort of the power disparity in terms of economics and physical size and strength meant that most people yes. felt that it was more egregious for a husband to batter a wife because of the economic disparity, strength, and and legal disparities. Yes. And yet, of course, yes. a, there, there's almost no uh, well, there's no wife who's as small relative to her husband as a child is relative to an adult. So that power disparity, yeah. I mean, a wife can conceivably run away, find a shelter, but children really don't have that option. So that the power, right. the economic disparity, the size, the strength, the power, means that what may seem like spanking to an adult feels, I mean, if someone that was, you know, five times my size or 10 times my size were to hit me, there's no way that I could ever perceive that as anything other than terrifying, no matter, uh, you know, what euphemisms were applied. Not seeing it from the child's perspective, I think, is one of the fundamental problems. Yes, exactly. You said it perfectly. And, and there's another element here that we, we've got to consider, and, that, and this applies specifically to schools that paddle and to many parents who spank. The target for the assault is the child's pelvic area, specifically targeting the anus. Now, if you if you say if you say that's what that's what, and no one admits that that's what they do. You tell a target a child to bend over, and I'm going to hit your 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 bottom with a wooden board, and the target of that blow is going to be your 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 anus. Um, the perpetrator is is clearly that that's a, a sexual battery. The perpetrator is arrested within minutes, and will do jail time. Yes. Uh, but if you couch it in the right language, whoa, I just gave him a little pop on the bottom or a spanking or, or, or a whooping. You know, and it's comical language. You could make, if you sit down and you make a list of all the euphemisms for battering a child, uh, it, it, the list doesn't finish. And, and they are all comical words. In fact, if you do a Google search on spanking, aside from the, the, the hits that you'll get, uh, um, uh, wrong, wrong choice. <laughs> the, the, the connections that you'll get to the act of punishing children or to pornography, you get a lot of a lot of hits involving sports. They'll talk about one team spanking another, yeah. um, and, and and it's all tongue in cheek. It's all comedy. Uh, however, look at it from the, the perspective of a child, and as you pointed out, someone who's a fraction of the size of the perpetrator, it's not funny at all. No, and uh, clearly people – well, people often say, but children don't have the cognitive abilities to reason, which I think is being progressively disproven by the work of child psychologists who are proving that children develop uh, empathy uh, as early as 14 to 16 months and 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 – Yet when I make the argument when people say that, well, children don't have the cognitive capacity and so we have to use uh, you know, the euphemism and anything that people use a euphemism for, they should stop, right? The beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper names. But they say, exactly. well, the children don't have the cognitive capacity. But by that reasoning, uh, 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 elderly people uh, who suffer from Alzheimer's or dementia – uh, if they forget something or if they leave something behind or if they don't remember a, a an instruction, we should be able to hit them as well. But that's called yes, elder abuse. Exactly. You don't you don't hit your, your grandmother because she she wet the bed. Right. You know, or she forgot something. Uh, uh, we understand that. So we accept but that a lack is... of cognitive ability is not reason to use violence in every segment except 
children. There's no school where somebody who was developmentally handicapped would be uh, beaten because of a cognitive deficiency. Uh, but again, we accept it in, in a weird way. We, we accept it with children, which is completely, it's crazy when you see it and it's hard to see if that makes any sense. Yes, yes. Well, you know, uh, I think that the that the the lessons the lessons of violence are learned immediately after birth, as as are the lessons of of gentleness and and peace. Uh, newborn infants, I, I don't know the exact earliest moment at which a newborn infant can be seen to smile, but it's very early, very early, soon after birth. Mm -hmm. Uh, an infant will smile. Uh, six weeks, and I think, is about uh, when it happens, is when you get the first genuine smile that's not just gas. I say this because I'm a pretty new dad, so that was our big exciting moment. Oh, okay. So, all right. So based on your experience, and you know that the, the infant's first experience of the touch of the mother, the taste of her milk, the scent of her body, the sound of her voice, those those stimuli are the things that set the pattern for all that follows. And if the infant is exposed to shouting and screaming and insults and neglect, and then pretty soon, very soon, sooner than anybody want, wants to admit, slaps and smacks and whatever you want to call them, uh, that infant is being damaged and, and the, the, is going down, will be going down the wrong path. Very hard to correct though that early mistreatment. It sets the stage for all that follows. And pretty soon the baby learns that the only way to be safe from being a victim is to become a victimizer. Mm. And then you've got young children who become bullies. They, they, they uh, uh, mistreat the family pets or their younger siblings. And, um, and then when they get to school, um, we have a whole class of bullying, a whole, uh, um, uh, I mean, it's a major problem in American education. But when you look at any bully, any individual bully, and say, where did you get your first lessons in bullying? Uh, we'd be shocked to learn that they got got those lessons very early in life, right. and they're hard to unlearn. They, they 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 they're very hard to undo that damage that that early damage. And then teachers who paddle, uh, they they perpetuate it. And now, as paddling is falling out of favor, the teachers who paddle. Uh, are finding that uh, the, their best opportunities are to work with the, with children who have disabilities who can't speak, and there they and now we're 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 finding uh, um, egregious sadism and cruelty being done to children who are autistic or have other disabilities because they aren't good witnesses in their own defense. Right. And people who have an impulse to to inflict pain, uh, sadists. Uh, uh, they will they they will, will go they'll find victims who are defenseless right and what could be a more defenseless victim than a child who can't speak or who isn't credible uh when they accuse someone right when you work uh, in these um uh, environments where you, i think you said there were 20 states uh, do you have any idea of the yeah. prevalence of of corporal punishment uh, because sometimes when, when I've looked at some of these statistics, it really is quite shocking, uh, the, the prevalence of corporal punishment. In, in the states which still allow it, do you have any idea of the prevalence of parents who will say, yes, I use corporal punishment on my children? Uh, I, I don't. I really I don't know. Although I will, uh, and this is anecdotal, I, I can't prove it. I have no science to prove it. But some a teacher, an, an educator who wants to uh, uh, corporally punish a child will be very leery of do will be very restrained will not 
inflict a punishment on the child if that teacher knows that the parents are educated, affluent, uh-huh. have resources, can can have a have an attorney in their address book. Uh, they will the teacher will target the child who is a welfare recipient, whose parent is a single parent on welfare, uneducated, and the teacher knows that that child will go home with it, with the, uh, having been paddled, and the parent is going to feel that he or she, usually a she, is doing her duty to give the child a second paddling at home. Right. I hadn't, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought like, of that, that there is a certain kind of class issue there where the violence may be concentrated more against those who have fewer resources and education to combat it. Yes, yes. Well, bullies don't pick people who can fight back. Right, right. Bullies pick easy victims. Yeah, as in the U.S. and Iraq, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You got it. Um, and I, I don't know if you've been um, up on the latest stuff that's coming out around – I think I saw this on your website, so I, I'm sure that you are. But some of the studies that have been coming out more recently are showing that there is an IQ point cost even to – uh, mild spanking uh, over the long haul and uh, behavioral problems. Absolutely, yes, and, and this and this is uh, um, uh, you know I see it anecdotally. I see it all the time when I'm invited to talk to a high school class. Uh, I was about two weeks ago. I I um, did a presentation to a high school class, and the teacher uh, um, uh, warned me in advance. She said, "Oh, there's going to be some. You're going to get some resistance here." And um, uh, there are some kids who really believe in spanking, and they aren't even parents yet, but they, they almost are itching to, to become a parent so they can spank their kid. And and, uh, and my impression, and I saw those, I detected those in the class right away. It seems that the dumbest kids are the ones that are the most eager to hit. Right. Uh, but as I say, that's not scientific research. That's just a, an impression that I got uh, uh, based on, on anecdotal evidence. Right. And, and people uh, may say, well, people who aren't as intelligent will have fewer verbal or negotiating resources to deal with children. But, uh, of course, the science seems to be indicating, and again, I'm not an expert in the field either, but the science seems to be indicating that the lack of intelligence leads that leads to a proclivity for spanking itself is partially a result of having been of having been right. exactly. Now, there's an interesting uh, outcome uh, of this research. The, uh, you're talking about the University of New Hampshire uh, uh, publication, the, the work of Murray Strauss yes. and his colleagues. Uh, in the past day or two, in fact, I saw it this morning for the first time, uh, the, um, the American Academy of Pediatricians, not to be confused with the American uh, the um, the American College of Pediatricians, and here I'm confusing them, the American College of Pediatricians, not to be confused with the American Academy of Pediatrics, has just come out with a paper criticizing the Strauss research. And what they're doing is nitpicking it, looking for flaws in the research. And it's the same handful. By the way, the American College of Pediatricians is a an offshoot of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and it 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 is uh, uh, it was created in order to promote um, uh, arch conservative principles, uh, uh, one of which is the defense of corporal punishment. Right. Uh, the same handful of people, the names associated with that group, they appear in the latest, this latest rebuttal to Strauss. 
predictably. And you can be sure if you turn the clock back, and I, I, I've tried this. I, I did a Google search on rationalizations for racial segregation. Mm. If you turn the clock back 30, 40 years, you can find some people with Ph.D. after their names explaining why Jim Crow laws are not all that bad, really, and if and finding excuses where uh, uh, they could it could be supported by pseudoscience. Oh, sure. And 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 the, the first husband who was was convicted of assault and battery against his wife. Um, I'm sure that his defense was was similarly based. Uh, you can find if you, as I pointed out before, you change the language. Uh, don't call it battering or beating. Call it chastisement. Right. It's a nice bi- biblical term. And the wife's duty to honor and obey. You know, put those two words together. You 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 you. you it gives you a nice um, a- antiseptic uh, a- a- approach to the issue. And uh, use the right language and, and pick the right anecdotes. You can defend wife beating. You can defend racial segregation. And going back earlier, um, there was the, the physical punishment of apprentices. And before that, the whipping of, of, of slaves in the cotton field. Well, and, and I think interestingly enough, uh, the, same, uh, the same arguments, I think, as you're pointing out, tend to be kind of cyclical, right? So because slaves were not educated or they were forcibly not educated, they ended up yeah. not with, they didn't have the cognitive or economic or reading or writing or, or, or language skills that would allow yeah. them to succeed even in a moderately agrarian economy. And so people say, well, they're not smart enough to be free. That's why they have to be slaves. But of course, it's reversing the cause and effect. They're not educated because they're slaves. They're not slaves because they're not educated. And the same thing, I think, occurs when parents use corporal punishment. They say, well, my child is so difficult, I have to use corporal punishment. But the research seems to be very strongly indicating that your child is difficult because you have used corporal punishment. And this becomes particularly true in the teenage years when the power, the strength and size disparity begins to close. Right, exactly. And then, of course, the teenager uses whatever the tools that he's learned. Sure. And the tools are to respond uh, um, uh, aggressively, or to respond uh, uh, with aggression with aggression toward oneself right. by taking drugs and uh, uh, drinking, smoking, and and etc. And that relieves the stress and the pain of of feeling rejected and feeling helpless. One can soothe oneself oneself with uh, with drug taking, and and you can see that um, uh, you know that that's. Uh, you know, when I when I park my car at the at the in the sh- when I go shopping and I park my car, there's one section where the smokers have to they're outside uh, in that one area where they can't smoke in the building, so they're outside smoking. Right. Now I remember as a high school student, uh, there was a smoking room in our school. It was a it was a a, a, a room that doubled as a storage room for the janitorial supplies, right. and if you were a senior. And and you were a member of the smoking club. You could go there, and you could feel good. I mean, you could light up a cigarette with your with your peer with, among your peers, and feel like you're John Wayne or Humphrey Bogart, a real man, and and smoke. And and you know, seen from today's perspective, we can see how dangerous and how wrongheaded that is. But at that time. Uh, that was you, you, the, the teenager felt liberated. Right. Um, you know, don't spank me. I'm John Wayne or Humphrey Bogart with a cigarette dangling from my mouth. 
I think it's also interesting and tragic, of course, is the amount of time that it takes for this to change. I mean, if you look at something, this is you, you could look back and say that it was in the 19th century that uh, the rights of children first began to be examined, some empathy for children even in the writings of, of Charles Dickens. but yeah. uh, And of course, Freud, when he began to talk about or he, he began to really look into the causes of neurosis and pathology in some of his patients and found sexual exploitation and rape, child rape, often at the root of yeah. it. And he took that step and then kind of took it back and went into the, uh, the Oedipal and, and Electra complex. And, and if you look at that, it's been, you could say, you could say it's been 150, 175 years that the rights of children have really been uh, at the forefront. And certainly there has been progress. There has been progress. But compared, to, yeah. uh, compared to something like women's rights, which, which have been much more rapid, uh, compared to uh, yeah. the, the rights of um, uh, minorities in, in the culture, much more rapid. Uh, elder abuse uh, and cognizance of that, much more rapid. And I think the real tragedy is, of course, this is the one group that, that can't speak for themselves. And, uh, right. and, that's, I think, and that may be part of the are. reason that it's taking so long. Right. Uh, my theory is, I think there are two reasons. Uh, one we've touched on, and that is that the victim uh, does not, they can't speak in their own defense. Uh, and they're they're totally dependent on on the the, the victimizer, and there, I think there's another another element here, and that is very few parents, very few people who are adults who have ever been in charge of children, can look back on their own treatment of children and say I have a totally clean slate. I've never engaged in in cruel behavior. Very few can say that. Um, I'm a parent and I'm a grandparent, and if I could turn the clock back to the, some of the mistakes that I made years ago, I would do things differently. So guilt is a major factor here. Very few people want to accuse their parents of having been abusers. They want to look back at, at their parents and their grandparents, and, and, even, and, and long after their parents and grandparents are, are, are gone from this life, uh, uh, they want to um, uh, um, in, envelop that memory, uh, put that memory, uh, dress it up, uh, um, uh, um, make it, uh, clean it up, make, make it, see it from a romantic uh, perspective, make it more um, pleasant. They don't want to remember the ugly stuff. Right. And uh, so there's this guilt they, to, to admit that spanking is what it really is, assault and battery uh, on a defenseless victim, is, is accusatory. Yes. Not only you're accusing your parents and your grandparents, you're accusing yourself. And very few people want to deal with that. It, it, it is very unpleasant. So it's very easy to, to grasp, to seize on all the, the uh, uh, rationalizations and justifications for it. it and, and we all love to remember our past, to see it in, in, in a glowing, um, in, in a warm light. Right. And it is also something that uh, is interesting as well, that most people, if they were to see, say, a man hitting a woman in a parking lot, yes. They would intervene, uh, whether that would be directly or simply call the cops or whatever. But right. uh, the, the idea of doing that for a child, which is something I've talked about in my show and I've done myself, and it is a scary thing to do, right? But uh, the yeah. idea of doing that for a child, which is it's much more important. I mean, we should do it for everyone, but the, of everyone we should yeah. do it for, the most important would be for a child. But it's something that we just kind of – we take a step back from. We're like, well, you know, it's a family. I don't want to get involved, right? And, and that's right. something that's very different. And I think that also communicates itself directly to children, the degree to which they are in a society that claims – 
to to value you know peaceful negotiation as a means of resolving things, and yet that society does not do much. Uh, it seems at times to step in and actually protect the child if the uh, parent is out of control. Yes, yeah, and this, this, uh, uh, the inconsistency of this behavior—it's so clear in the news just uh, yesterday. Uh, the news of a, a little boy who brought his his uh, um, scout knife—it's uh, it, it's a little uh, tool that's got a knife, a fork, a spoon. And it folds up into a like a like a pocket knife. He brought it to school with him. It was his favorite piece of scouting equipment, and he was suspended. Right. Um, uh, and, and this, you know, and he had no idea that what he was doing would bring such a such a consequence. And of course, this the school was ultimately very embarrassed, and they 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 rescinded his suspension, and they agreed that that this was not he was not bringing a weapon to school. Right. But the same state, children are beaten with paddles. Right. When, when a teacher brings a weapon to school, why doesn't the same standard apply? Well, yeah, because the teachers have, have power. We have and zero, tolerance for, zero tolerance for weapons in classroom, except when the teacher brings a weapon. Right. Yeah, of course, teachers vote and they have a union and Exactly. Yeah. No, that that is that is. I, mean, I just by the by. I mean, I went to a, a boarding school when I was younger, and I I very distinctly remember this as something that I could not figure out at the time, but had to make I had to have it make sense later. A a, a yeah. boy I knew uh, at about the age of seven, he threw a stone at a cat, and in in consequence, he was caned for his aggression yeah. against a cat, and the stone didn't even hit the cat. And that, right. you know, it, it just made no sense. As you say, if, if we hit animals, it's abuse, right? If we hit adults, it's assault. But if we hit children, it's discipline. It's, you know, it's being right. a, right. A, a, an involved parent. And uh, I just remember that that contradiction, it blew my mind even at the time. And I still, you know, I think it's becoming more clear now as I get older. But I just remember that very vividly that he was dragged off crying to be caned for throwing and right. missing right. a cat. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, uh, some of these uh, we can learn so much from our from our memories. Uh, I, let me tell you a, a brief anecdote when, uh, uh, from my teen years. I had a summer job working uh, as a carpenter's helper on construction sites during the summertime uh, when I, you know, the, my summer break from school. And I remember one of the young men who was an employee there. Uh, had recently been married, and I remember him during uh, during the lunch break boasting about he was so proud of his role as a husband, and he described this. He said when he gets home every day, his wife has to give him a list of all the places she's been and all the people she's spoken to. Wow because he wants to be sure that she didn't step out of line. And he was so pleased with his power over his wife that she had to report to him like, like she was on parole. Wow. And, and he was the parole agent. Um, uh, and, and I thought to myself, you know, how can he be proud of that? But, but he was. And, of course, his examples of the relationship between a powerful husband and a dependent wife um, uh, in his mind, this this gave him justification for that kind of behavior. And the trickle-down theory of humiliation means that it would be fairly easy to guess how her parenting would be relative to those dependent upon her based on how she was treated by her husband, which is part of the cycle that is so tragic. Exactly. And what this man saw in the treatment of his mother by his father. Right. Probably, probably a parallel there, too. 
And there is uh, some additional research, and I appreciate that. That's a very, very interesting anecdote. There's a, The last yeah. point I'd like to make is there does seem to be some research coming out at the moment. Uh, I haven't delved into it in a great deal of detail, but uh, it is that those who suffer extremely stressful childhoods uh, have a life expectancy reduction of about 20 years. Uh, and that's yeah. sort of one. And the second is that those who experience uh, stress, uh, significant stress in their childhood have up to a 49% increase in the rate of, of can- rates of cancer. And yeah. if we had parents who were forcibly making their children smoke, I can't imagine that the, the health effects would be all too different. And so if we look at uh, the, the toxicity of aggression against children as you know, both a shortener of life expectancy and a, a, a sort of environmental carcinogen agent, um, we, yeah. would, we would really act very strongly against uh, parents who would expose their children to such toxicity that would have long-term negative health consequences. But at the same time, we have such a difficult time with uh, uh, confronting this issue that uh, physical violence has similar, if not the same, effects as other kinds of toxicities, and and confronting that as a society. Not to mention the fact that uh, uh, this aggression that again reproduces itself uh, almost virally in other social situations when the children get get to, to be adults. Yes, yes, yeah. That um, uh, let me just reach for. Uh, I'm just reaching for something I want to share with you. I have a a a, a very short. A little leaflet in which I talk about how punishment can affect health, and and I I, I mention here that uh, that when a child is under stress due to punishment, can, can I read this? It's about five or six sentences. Oh, please, can by I, all means. If you have time, I absolutely do. Uh, let me read this uh, better than if I try to do it from memory. When the mammalian brain anticipates danger, it triggers a cascade of responses. First, the hippo hippocalmus secretes corticotropin-releasing hormone, CRH. By the way, I may mispronounce some of these words. Forgive me. Stimulating the pituitary to produce corticotropin. The ACTH causes the adrenal glands to release cortisol and epinephrine. The cortisol helps maintain energy-producing blood sugar, while the epinephrine increases, epinephrine, I think, increases heart and breathing rates, sending extra blood to the limbs. These changes give the body a rapid energy boost to help protect itself against imminent danger. As the threat subsides, the organism returns to the normal state. Now, here's the part that, that here we're getting to the point. Exposure to long-term stress could have a very different effect. It can produce chronic and debilitating symptoms such as memory loss, weakened immune system, high blood pressure, stomach ulcers, skin problems, weight gain, and digestive disorders. The process is essentially the same, whether it involves a laboratory rat being subjected to an ongoing regimen of electric shocks, shocks or a child living in fear of punishment. Prolonged exposure to stress hormones on a child's developing brain, moreover, can permanently compromise the brain's ability to regulate emotion, aggression, attention, and cognition. Right. And that's, uh, you know, you know, that's the, the, the long-winded version of what you just okay. alluded to. Uh, this, um, uh, uh, this, uh, the stress as a result of being battered by one's parents or one's teachers is toxic. It is, there's no other word for it. It is toxic. 
and it's injure, it, it puts one's health at, at risk. And it doesn't surprise me at all that people who've, who've had that experience in childhood uh, have lo- shorter life expectancies and are more prone to, to illnesses. Yeah, and uh, I think, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. And again, <laughs> we're two non-doctors talking about things we've read, but um, yeah. the, 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 the the stress hormone is, is so overwhelming and cortisol has been implicated, uh, as far as I've read, in, in these, uh, it's not proven, but it's implicated in the increase in cancer risk that it comes from those who've had traumatic uh, childhoods. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it is this overwhelming flood of, uh, of hormones from the fight or flight mechanism that can't be controlled yeah. or regulated and so the child does not gain the ability to regulate emotion very well because emotions are so overwhelming based on the constant stressors within the environment that leads to impulse control, concentration uh, problems and so on later in life and uh, it's, it's yeah. just extraordinarily bad for the, the brain and, and there does seem to be some difference in the brains of those who've gone through these kinds of childhood traumas relative to people who've had more peaceful and, and loving and productive environments. Uh, so yeah, it is yeah. really tragic, particularly what happens with, with the developing brain, you know, relative to uh, something, you know, you and I get frightened as adults. It's different because we, our brains have kind of done their thing, right? But it's what happens early on. That is so specific. Right, exactly. The developing brain is affected by it, and and those are those changes are irreversible. Right. Uh, you pointed out before that uh, you know what what would you think of a parent who in, encouraged their child to smoke? Um, uh, a, 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 you know, a similar. Uh, I, I could use this comparison. Uh, what would you think of 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 an alcoholic mm. who is told that he should really have a, a beer before driving, <laughs> uh, but do it in moderation. You, know, you, know, it, it, you simply don't, um, you don't set up these, you don't invite danger. You don't look for trouble. Right. Uh, and, and, and to say that, well, for somebody to say, well, look, I, I don't smoke. I just take a puff occasionally. Or, or to make excuses for for drinking and then driving, and say, well, it sharpens my my senses, and I, I and I've 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 never had any problem. I can I can do. I've turned out okay. I've done it. And in in my little booklet, I I give some examples of that. Uh, my own childhood, being around smokers all my childhood. My both parents smoked, and visitors to the house smoked. I was always exposed to tobacco smoke. My mother smoked when she was pregnant with me. You know, and I said, well, I turned out okay. Uh, but what does that prove? I was lucky. Not, not that the adults in my family were smart, but that we were lucky. Yes, and and certainly, I mean, I, I I looked at those, and you also mentioned like I I rode without a bike helmet, and I turned out okay, but that doesn't mean that it's good to ride without a bike helmet. The difference being, yeah. of course, that um, when children are exposed exposed to significant uh, levels of violence or, or or aggression within the household, I think that it affects them all. Like I think it it, it affects all children that way. Whereas you can kind of dodge a bullet, as you say, with secondhand smoke or with bicycle helmets. You know, the majority of kids will be fine. But I think that that's not the case with uh, with violence within the home. No, no, that leaves that leaves an impact always. Yeah. Now, uh, I just just before we wrap up here, I just wanted to uh, give you the opportunity for people who are interested in this topic. And I, I think if you're interested in the in the peace and happiness of the world, this is the most important topic. And we, we you know, you can go march against war and so on, but I think it's important to understand where aggression comes from in human nature. I don't yes. think it's innate to human nature at all. But 
uh, I think that it is provoked through through aggression, particularly in childhood. So uh, I just wanted you to give a chance, if you could, to to just list off resources that people might be able to to get to, and I'll I'll you know put this uh, these links uh, with the show. Uh, so that people can, there's no spank.net, which is a website that you're affiliated with, um, and it has yeah. great resources. And as you say, a thousand and one reasons not to spank and a thousand and one alternatives. Is there anything else that you would like to, to list as resources for people who would be interested in? Well, I have the, the little booklet, plain talk about spanking. If you go to the website, no spank.net, you'll see it, uh, referenced in a few places right on the main page, the front page of the website. There's a link to it. Uh, uh, readers are invited. They can print their own copies. They can contact me by by mail, email, or telephone, and I'll send them a free copy of the 16-page booklet. Um, and as I said, they can they can they can print them out themselves. They can they can share the links. They can bring other people to see the, the read that little booklet. It's just 16 pages. It takes a person with a with a high school education can read it in about 10 minutes and understand it perfectly. Um, you know, I, I and I'm constantly uh, packing those up every day. I get requests for that booklet, and from people who are in child-related fields, teachers, psychologists. Uh, um, social workers, people are ordering it all the time, and and parents, of course. Fantastic. So, so that uh, you know that offer is a standing offer as long as I'm able to pack those in an envelope and send them out. Uh, I will do that, and 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 of course it's on the website. A person can read it there. Um, there's also uh, two excellent books. You can read the entire book on the website. Uh, Alice Miller's For Your Own Good. And Olivier Morel's uh, new book that was just we just translated it uh, from French to English. Um, uh, the uh, the book is the title is Spanking, and then there's a subtitle which I slips my memory at the moment, but you'll see it right on the front page. The the Miller book and the Morel book are side by side. You can read the entire book right on the website. And yeah, the, I haven't read the the book from the French author, but I mean, Alice Miller is a, is a fantastic resource for exploring these kinds of things within yourself and uh, within society as a whole. She's just brilliant that way. Yes, she was she was a pioneer, and and I'm I'm proud to count her as a close friend, a long a long standing friend of, of many years. Uh, her all her books are are so such a great contribution. And the For Your Own Good, it was published, I think, in 1979. If you go on Amazon, you can probably find a used copy for less than the cost of postage. Yeah. Uh, get it. I say get it, read it, learn it. It's super. Fantastic. Well, I really do appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to have a chat with me today. I will send you the links uh, to, to the show when it comes out. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, you're <laughs> ahead of the curve for, uh, for me. And I just really wanted to, to thank you for the work that you've done uh, in the world, in society, uh, in, your, in your environment to, to help bring this awareness to people. It has certainly made the world a better place for me, just as I hope to sort of pass it down along the way. So thank you so much for the lifetime that you spent uh, getting these kinds of initiatives going and really uh, bringing this awareness about the, the, uh, the, the, the sadness and criminality of some of these actions. It's been, I know it's a tough road uh, to, to travel, but I just wanted to, to really thank you for the work that you've done. It is, uh, it is a beautiful thing to see. Well, and thank you for inviting me on. I, I've enjoyed our conversation. Fantastic. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.